Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their combination. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Please be seated. You and I have been in a two-week study, and this would be the conclusion of that, of the idea of defending our faith. And perhaps it should have started this way. But it definitely needs to end this way. What kind of faith are you trying to defend? Is it a, a real faith, or is that faith dependent on someone or something or some other action. A lot of times when you, when you have an opportunity to work with, with kids and you're at camp and, and you'll have some of the older kids who will turn into counselors even and they will come to you sometimes at night and say things like, I think I need to be baptized for the right reason." And so we'll look at those things and we'll study over those things. And nine times out of ten, what we come to is this. Did you know that you have grown since you were baptized? Did you know that you know more now than you did? What you did was sufficient for baptism and being added to the Lord's church. And now you've grown up and, and you understand more. Here's a faith that is growing and a faith that is healthy. And then on the other side of that coin, uh, you can find people in, in every single congregation who have the same amount of faith that they had when they were obedient unto God, and that faith sort of be stagnant. Just sitting in one place and not really growing, but not really, not really doing much of anything. And so tonight, let's look at the ideas of faith. And as we look at that, let's look at the idea of, of real faith. We have to answer the question, what is faith? And perhaps you look up here and you say, you really don't understand because, you know, you're a preacher. You don't understand. You haven't gone through the things that I have gone through. Probably not. Everybody's experiences in life are different. I grew up in a house uh, that was owned by a church. I grew up exposed to the church. And I grew up as a target of abuse. I grew up in a house that was destroyed by divorce at age 14. I probably don't know what you're talking about. I grew up uh, at in older teenage years and those type things, doing whatever I wanted to do because I didn't care about what God thought. I probably don't know what you're talking about, do I? I live now with a father who's dying of cancer, who's lost. Dealing with a sister who's going through divorce. I probably don't know what you're talking about. This doesn't make us immune to life. 
your life, my life, everybody's life has problems. And at some point in time, everybody's faith will be put to the test. That's life. For a complete reading of that idea, if you read the book of James, you can get the idea of this, that a faith not tested is a faith that can't be trusted. How strong are you? You don't know till you go through those fires and those temptations. How weak are you? You don't know till you go through those temptations. And everybody has them. Many times we look at other people and say, well, they don't know what I'm going through. And in fact, they, they probably do. And so let's forget about the pulpit for a minute. And let's look at each other like people and see if we can look at our faith as being real or counterfeit. Let's start right here. Let's start in, in, the, in the definition of terms. Uh, a concrete word in our language is a word or a term that can be measured or observed. For example, Bible, pew, truck, building, car, puppy, whatever you want to call out there, you have an image that, that, that uh, immediately comes to mind when you think of those words. Those are concrete words. And then in our language, we have words that are called abstract. And those are intangible qualities or concepts. For example, love, trust, friendship, and here's a good one, anger. And along those lines of abstract words versus concrete words, you find the word faith. Go ahead, I'll give you a second. Just define it. Well, we automatically, generally in our minds, go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 of, of the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All right, but define it. It's just one of those abstract words. It's one of those emotional words that really doesn't have a definition because it's intangible. We can't say it's red, it's blue, it's yellow, it's this, it's that. It's, it's faith. And so as we look at this idea, we have to know what it is. The word pistos there in the Greek is faith, and it means something to the idea of a persuasion or a credence or a moral conviction in the truthfulness of God as it relies on Christ for salvation and, by extension, the gospel plan of salvation that would deal with hearing, believing, uh, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. Its synonyms are assurance, belief, believe, faith, or fidelity. This is from Strong's Concordance. Notice what he says there. First, he says it's a moral conviction in the... He, here's the key to that whole statement. In the truthfulness of God. Either God is truthful or He is not. Now, what say ye? He is or is not. Well, if he is, then I have to rely on his salvation and by extension, the religious system or the gospel plan of salvation. Faith. 
It's what separates the lost from the saved. Faith in 2019 was described this way, a strong belief in a God or gods or in the doctrine of religion based on spiritual apprehension. Look at this phrase, rather than proof. In 2019, this, this publisher wrote this to say, faith is when you and I cannot prove something. Now, I don't know about you, but that's completely wrong. Faith is not the absence of proof. Faith is the proof. As a matter of fact, look at one disciple. One disciple found in John chapter 20 who does not believe the other disciples as they come to Thomas and say, he has come back and he says what? Unless I put my hand in his side, unless I put my fingers into those nail prints, I will not believe. So many times we look at Thomas and say, well, he was just doubting. Brethren, look right here. He was looking for evidence. He was looking for faith. Faith is not something that cannot be unsubstantiated. If it is, why do you even open the book? Faith is based on something, isn't it? Is it based on uh, a, a weird feeling I get in my stomach? As I get a weird feeling in my stomach about every day. Is that faith or is that enchiladas from last night? Most people in the world would say, that's God telling you something. And I would say to you, that was Mexican food, too late. Faith is based on something. It cannot be just based on nothing. That's just assumption. That's not faith. It's no wonder why those who are younger than us are being bombarded with the idea of faith being fluid. And here's how they'll mention it. It's, it's slight, man. It's slight. They don't, they don't let you know right out. What is your truth? Ah, there is no your truth. There is truth or not truth. But your truth, if it is true, is just truth. It's not fluid. It is as simple as black and white. And you and I must be able to defend that. Is your faith fluid or assured? Is it steadfast or, or does it move with the tides uh, as they move across the water? Here's what we're going to find out tonight. If my faith is the faith that is required in the Bible, or if it's going to be biblical faith, first, first it's going to be required. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse number 16. As you make your way uh, to that particular verse, that's going to be a very common verse for you. And you're going to read this. He that believeth, this are in, these words are in red, so obviously they're important, right? Anybody know why they're important? Because they're, they're said by Jesus. Now, those are not the only important words in there. 
But this is Jesus speaking to faith and baptism when he says, uh, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he goes further to say, He that believeth not will be condemned. Now, you and I need to understand what that means. Well, why didn't he say, He that believeth not and obeyeth not? Because it's not necessary. It's, it's absolutely not necessary. The one who does not believe is not going to obey. Belief is required. Look at John chapter 16 and verse number 31. What you'll read there is the Bible as it says, And Jesus answered to these disciples, <laughs> what a great question he asks, Do you believe now? Now that you've seen these things, do you believe? What, what else do I need to show you to believe? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, John mentions the idea of a faith that overcomes the world, not that's going to take over the world in, in some kind of barrage and storm where the world will just fall to its knees for those who are faithful, but rather a faith that transcends this life. You ever notice in the Old Testament when God would introduce himself and he say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know what he didn't ever say? I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now they're dead. No, he still is. Even to this day, he is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those men of faith, had faith that would transcend this world. Go past this world. Don't you hope? Don't you wish? Don't you understand the Bible would teach us there's something beyond here? If not, look at your choices. If there's nothing beyond here, either this is heaven and it ain't that good, or this is hell and it ain't that bad. Those are your choices. There is something beyond here. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that sacrifice that was made by the love of God was toward and for our eternal life. That's based off of faith. For God so loved the world, he that believeth. E-T-H. I prefer the King James at that particular point in time because of the ending there, E-T-H. Sometimes we miss that in, in our newer translations because we don't have an ending on a word that's that strong. This is an idea, uh, the ETH is an idea of a continual process of believing. If a man has faith and that type of faith, and it's a continual process, will he repent of his sin? Shake your head this way. Will he confess that Jesus is the Christ? Keep shaking. Will he be baptized? Yes. Will he strive to live that faithful life? Yes. ETH. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul is, is required by God to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites and the king and everything that they have, everything that they have, everything that breathes. I want you to just wipe it off the earth. What does he do? 
He comes back with the best of the flock and the king, and he said, well, you know, I was going to do that, but, uh, you know, but the people wanted to. Mm. You remember how he met Samuel on the road? As, as Samuel is, is coming to see Saul, Saul says, we have done what the Lord has required. No, you haven't. Where do we get all these sheep and all these oxen? Who's this king? Utterly, utterly destroy means to utterly destroy, not to save stuff. I hear the difference in those words? But, but Saul thought, if I can bring it back to sacrifice, then it'll be just okay. Samuel said to him, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And so biblical faith found within the, uh, the construct of the Bible is a faith that is required. And notice this, Romans 10, 17 starting out. That faith also is personal. You and I must hear that word of God and have that word of God implanted and have that word blossom and grow in order for us to have faith. Now couple that with 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15, Paul would write by the inspiration of God, study to show thyself approved unto God. Stop right there. Because you're missing the implied subject. The implied subject is you study to show yourself approved unto God. The implied subject in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 is, is you study that word and that word grows inside you. It's personal. It's absolutely personal. I can study for me and that's it. I'd say I can't study for Miss Brandy. As much as I'd love to, I can't do it. Can't study for the girls. Why? Because True biblical faith has to be your faith. You can't ride the coattails of someone else into heaven and say, well, you know, Michael knew a lot about the Bible. Maybe I can get real close to him and where God says, come on in, I just sneak in there with him. That's not how it works. You're going to have to stand before God and, and you're going to have to defend why you did what you did and I will too. And it's personal on that end. John chapter 3 and verse 16, for whosoever. You ever looked and tried to find your name in the Bible? If you have a name like Daniel, you can find it all over. If you have a name like Billy, you can't. Even if you go with the, the firstborn given name of William, you can't find that name in there either. But you find every single person's name found in the entirety of humanity in John chapter 3 and verse 16. And whosoever. Whichever person wants this uh, salvation given by God will do it this way. Whosoever, every single person. John chapter 12 and verse number uh, 44 through 48. You and I usually look at verse number 47 as we look at Jesus saying, I'm going to be the one who judges. You look back at verse 44 and what you'll see is there are men who were found in the temple who believe, but because of the pressure put on them by the priests, they didn't do anything with it. They knew Jesus was the Son of God. They saw the miracles. They understood who he was, and yet 
They wouldn't do anything with it. Because of that, because that faith that is not cultivated, is not personal, is not required for them, they're lost. L-O-S-T. Biblical faith is required. Biblical faith is personal. Biblical faith is growing. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, you read this after that faith, you'll be going on to these particular things. When you look at that, I need you to understand the words going on to. That means I have faith well in hand. And I move from that to work on to something else. I can't move on and work on something else without having it well in hand. It's not going on to before I get those things done. It is completing task number one, and then going on to task number two. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Don't you know, Christian, you are salt and you are light? For what reason? Verse 16, to glorify God. That's the reason. How about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11? And add to your faith. Stop right there. What are we adding to? Faith. Add to your faith virtue and your virtue knowledge and your knowledge temperance and your temperance patience and the patience brotherly kindness and love and down the line that way. But it requires, first in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, it requires me adding it to my faith. It has to be established. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, growing in the grace of God and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Biblical faith is not only required, it's not only personal, but it needs to be, it must be, it's required that it grows. It can't be stagnant. Back home, many people try very hard not to have low spots in their yard. I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes in the South it rains. Are you all aware of that? And sometimes in the South when it rains and those low spots are there, then they kind of hold and collect water. And old tires are the worst. And that water sits there and it becomes stagnant and all of uh, the oxygen is depleted out of it. And then here she comes. And she lays her eggs in there. I know that God made everything and made everything good. But one of the questions I'd like to ask is, what's the purpose of a mosquito? She comes and lays her eggs in that tire, and then they multiply, and there's 50 million mosquitoes outside your house. You know why? You know, mosquitoes don't lay their eggs in water that runs. It's in stagnant water. It's in water that's just sitting there, not doing anything. And we like to base our faith on that same type of water. We want to have a stagnant faith. 
We want to have a faith that's just sort of sitting there. We got it on a shelf. It's not doing much of anything. It's not helping us out. We're not growing in it. We're not understanding God's truth. Mm. We can't do that. Turn over in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter number 5. That's toward the right. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 12, beginning. Notice this. For when the time ye ought to be teachers. He's speaking to a, a congregation of, of Jewish folks who he says, at this point your faith should have grown to the point where you would be a teacher, that you have need that someone come again and teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he's a baby. You, you ought to be, Paul, uh, the writer of, of Hebrews would say, you ought to be progressed far enough to be teaching someone. And yet you still have need of someone to teach you why we sing or why we partake of the Lord's Supper or why we do this or why we do that. Is it unfair for this author of Hebrews to say, you ought to be further along in your faith than you are? It's not unfair. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's, it's kind of the kick in the pants that we need. We ought to be growing. And sometimes we look and say, man, I really should be, and I haven't been doing much of that. Notice this biblical faith. It is required, it's personal, it's growing. And at the same time, It's very, very fragile. Have you guys ever bought any um, clay targets? Anybody know anything about clay targets? You ever heard the word clay? Good, somebody's alive. You buy the box of clay targets, has 100, 150, whatever the stack is in there. And on big old letters, just written all over the tops and the sides and everything of, of the box that it comes in. It says, fragile as eggs. Anybody know what clay targets are? Anybody not? So you put them in a, in a launcher, you throw them out there, and you shoot them with a shotgun. And they're made out of clay, and they explode. And if, if, they, if they break off right, then you've done it. If, uh, if they just keep flying, then you missed it. That's the easiest way to figure it out. If you don't treat those things properly, they break and everyone you pick up just happens to be halves. If you and I don't treat our faith properly, it can break in half. Colossians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 is the first place we meet them. And along the list of people that are mentioned by Paul, Paul says, Demas greets you. In Philemon chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, he says, Demas, who is my fellow laborer, greets you. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, especially verse 10, here's what the last thing you will read about this man in the entirety of the Bible. For Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world and is just 
gone off into Thessalonica to do who knows what. Do you think Demas or those around him in Colossae ever thought he would waver? Do you think Demas or those who were around him when he was at the house of Philemon ever thought he would waver? What about it when Paul writes it in 2 Timothy? You think Paul ever looked back on, on this life and the struggle that he had with uh, Demas and said, man, Demas was there. He, he was there for me. He helped me out. You think, Demas, uh, you think Paul ever prayed for this fellow? You think Paul ever had sleepless nights for him and, and tear-filled days for him? Seems like in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul is more concerned about the eternal destination of Demas than Demas is. But he's not only concerned about his friend Demas. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 through 27, Paul's concerned about himself. He'll write there that, that there are a lot of people who train for races. And everybody in those physical races, everybody runs for one crown. But we are running for an incorruptible crown. We're running a race that will last our entire life. In verse number 27, he says this, I buffet my body and keep it under subjection unless I myself would become a castaway. Now, take a moment and think about what Paul just wrote. The apostle. The apostle to the Gentiles. The one who wrote majority of the New Testament. The one that we would look at as a, as a uh, man of faith and that we would want to emulate. The one who we look at and say, you know, Paul wrote this and Paul said that. And we look at him as a standard. Rightly so. This is what he says. There is an opportunity even for an apostle. There is an opportunity that I can become careless with my faith. And that after converting hundreds if not thousands of people, I myself can be lost. Because I find myself being a castaway. The word castaway is a fun little word. We think of Tom Hanks in a movie with him on the, on the side of an abandoned beach many times when we think of the word castaway. But you think of well, I guess our, our best idea for that would be for us to all go out to the dumpster out here and find what we could find. Anybody want to climb in and be first? Yeah, me either. That's the idea of a castaway. Someone who would be considered as being garbage or trash or, or useless. He said, I could have, I could have uh, converted hundreds of men to God and God would look at me and say, you are useless. Because you left biblical faith. 
Now, as we look and strive to be able to defend our faith, we have to know exactly what it is. It's one of the most difficult tasks on earth. Dealing with faith when we don't die to self. Turn over to Romans chapter 6 rather quickly. And we, ooh, wow, rather quickly and we will wrap this up. The church in Rome had a problem, and the church in Rome has, mostly has a problem with not dying to self and not having faith as being personal, as being required, as being growing, and as being fragile. Their idea is that if you sin, God's grace will cover it, and that is the case. So their, their own mindset then is if we sin more, we ought to get more grace. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? You know, if, if one pill prescribed by the doctor will help you, five more would be great, right? Mm. By the way, don't do that. Here's what he says. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, we're going to stop right there. So I'm going to ask you this. If you're dead to sin, are you alive in faith? You're going to have to be. You're either alive in sin or dead in sin, not knowing it, or you're alive in faith because you have died to sin. Now, which one is it? When we look at the idea of being able to defend our faith, we need to know what faith is and what the Bible would require with faith so that we can stand before God, as the book of Romans would teach us, justified. If you want a textbook definition of justified, here it is. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's the easiest way to remember it. I can stand before God guiltless because of the blood of Jesus the Christ. And I can't do that any other way. And I'm not going to do that without biblical faith. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. After that, I must repent of my sin, Jesus would say, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3 and 5. I must confess that Jesus is the Christ, Matthew 10, 32. If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 38 and 39, we have the idea there of Peter speaking to those, uh, speaking to those um, there, who are found there on the day of Pentecost, saying them, repent and be baptized. And the implication for that for us is found in verse number 39. And the implication is found in this, this is for you and your family and for those who are afar off. That's us. We're 2,000 years removed and still the blood of Jesus Christ covers and cleanses the exact same way. Brother, sister, as I look around and if, if you've done those things and yet you look at the idea of faith and say, maybe I haven't grown as, as quickly or maybe I haven't uh, been as careful with my faith and it's very fragile or maybe I haven't made it just mine. You know, you can do that. You can do that even tonight. You can, you can put off that old man's desire and put on uh, Jesus Christ once in baptism but now coming back home to the Father who loves you, to the family who's been missing you and praying for you. 
Why not do those things right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement? Uh,